This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. So in California, they are once again going somewhere that no other jurisdiction has gone before. Lawmakers in that state have given final approval on a bill that is aimed at protecting the so-called gig economy workers. These are the lots and lots of people who say work in ride hailing or they're food delivery drivers for all those different apps out there. But reporter Alex Stone says one of the biggest players in the marketplace is already indicating they don't intend to comply. The bill, which only needs Governor Gavin Newsom's signature to become law, mandates that companies that use freelance or independent contract workers classify them as employees and give them protections of employees like minimum wage if the companies control how they work and if the worker is central to the company's business. But Uber is arguing the law won't impact its business and that it will continue to treat drivers as independent contractors. Uber is arguing it's a technology company and the drivers are outside of Uber's business. It's a fight Uber will probably have to make in court. Alex Stone, ABC News, Los Angeles. So what does this mean for other jurisdictions? We wanted to talk about the wider kind of consequences or ramifications of this. Joining us now is Sylvia Fuller, a professor of sociology at the University of British Columbia. Sylvia, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Now, what do you think about this type of legislation or what California is trying to do? Is this feasible, do you think? I think it's absolutely feasible, and it's certainly something that a lot of jurisdictions are grappling with as we are seeing the increase in these kinds of companies that are using so-called independent contractors as a key part of their business model, largely because it allows them to offload some of the risks and the costs as much as possible onto the workers rather than themselves and avoid you know, some of those pesky regulations that would otherwise um, cut into their profits. So California is not alone, obviously, in struggling with these issues, and they are important for us to get a hold of if we are going to think about how do we provide minimum protections and standards for all workers in our economies. Right, because originally these jobs were thought of as kind of not full-time, just people working on the side, but is that actually realistic? Is that the type of jobs we're talking about here? Well, it's a broad swath. <laughs> when right. we're talking about the gig economy, uh, you know, it's notoriously difficult to really get a handle on exactly who's working in it and how much and so forth. Um, so for some workers, absolutely, it's, it's work on the side, and it's particularly for workers whose other work um, tends to be, you know, poorly paid, have irregular schedules, and so they are sort of trying to take up some of that slack to build baseline economic security for themselves by having a bit of freelancing on the slide, on the side through these platforms. That doesn't mean that everything is great, because, of course, we have to think about, you know, why are these workers feeling that they are compelled to do that in the first place? It's partly because, you know, other regular jobs are not providing the economic security that uh, they otherwise that they otherwise need. Right. So it doesn't mean that if it's on the side that the worker is overall doing fine in terms of their in terms of their economic security. And then, of course, there are a lot of workers for whom this is their their main job and they are not able to depend on some other uh, workplace that is going to provide them with, you know, sick pay and vacation pay and pensions mm-hmm. and, and all the rest. So it, it really does matter. So in the beginning, when this started, it seemed like a nice idea. 
And do you think now it just that's just too big, too wieldy, and there's too much profit being made in some cases for this to be realistic for workers? Well, we've had a lot of shifts in our economy and in our labor conditions over time, and it's really important that our labor standards shift and uh, keep up with changes in the broader economy. The kinds of rules that were adequate for protecting workers in the past are not necessarily going to provide the same level of protection going forward. And the case with a lot of these, uh, you know, online uh, gig economy jobs, and we can the ride-hailing uh, companies are certainly a big part of this, is that their business model is premised on classifying people as independent contractors. And what that means in practice and why they're doing that is that independent contractors are placed outside of our minimum employment regulations. So they're not protected in terms of minimum wages, sick leave, overtime, workers' compensation, unemployment insurance, all those kinds of things that the rest of our social safety net and our employment regulations um, are concerned with providing for workers. So they're taking people and they're putting them outside of those regulations that, you know, were designed when they thought about, oh, independent contractors, you know, shouldn't fit. They were really thinking about folks who had more control over their work, had tended to be more highly paid. You know, these are folks who they might prototypically think working for multiple different clients, having a lot of control over which contracts they take or they don't take and the conditions of those contracts. That's not really the case for these gig economy workers. And what it means is that a lot of people are working in conditions that don't provide a baseline of economic security. Right. Okay. So California does. Is California usually like where these things kind of start? Well, I think California, um, you know, has been a leader in many respects. But in general, I would say that, you know, when we're thinking about employment standards generally, uh, one would hope that usually Canada is, is actually better <laughs> than, than the U.S. We don't tend to look uh, to the United States for models for, you know, how to provide decent working conditions for folks. So I'm very happy to see them taking this lead. I do think that, you know, California has been a bellwether. And really, you know, they're the they're sort of ground zero for a lot of these technology, right. so-called technology companies. So perhaps it's not surprising. But, you know, it's important for us to all look around and learn from what's happening in other jurisdictions, particularly now in BC is we're, you know, making, making changes mm-hmm. so that we can, you know, av- we, we know about the negative consequences. So let's not just go forward as if they don't exist. Let's try and fix the problems. But isn't it interesting that these technology companies don't feel like they should comply or have to comply, even though the labor market is so tight right now? Well, the labor market can be tight, but even in a tight labor market, there are folks who have, you know, limited power within it, right, who have a harder time finding employment, finding well-paid employment, um, whether it's because they don't have a lot of skills that are socially recognized as valuable in the labor market, whether there's other vulnerabilities, you know, that that are in their lives that make them uh, more you know, more having to sort of accept whatever whatever work is on the go. There's always going to be people in those situations. So I do think that it's true in a tight labor market. You you know, you might expect there to be more power for workers. Um, Uber has been, for example, lowering its, you know, its compensation rates uh, for workers over time as they're, you know, trying to make themselves more, uh, you know, cheaper and cheaper for consumers. Um, and they've been doing that unilaterally. Whether they can continue to do that and keep their drivers in a tighter labor market remains to be seen. But nonetheless, even in a tight labor market, it's important that we provide some basic 
rules and guidelines so that, you know, workers who really, you know, have very asymmetrical power in these relationships have some protection. Uber doesn't ma- it doesn't matter to them whether, you know, any one individual worker or not sticks with their platform. And it's very difficult under our current system for workers to unionize and to have, you know, an organized opposition to them. In fact, they're not allowed to do that if they're independent, if they're independent contractors. And on the other side, you know, Uber sort of unilaterally sets those wage rates, sets all those terms and conditions. So, you know, without some broader oversight, workers are in a very difficult case um, situation trying to negotiate with Uber, especially if they've, you know, figured this is going to be an important part of their employment plan and they've gone out and they've, you know, leased a car at high rates to be able to yeah. do this work. They've got sunk costs. They can't just walk away, right? So we need to we need to think about that and not assume that somehow they're this powerful independent contractor who can pick and choose their clients. It's clearly not the case. It's just so interesting that we're listening to this and talking about this, and we still don't have this here. So workers here haven't really experienced that yet, but do you think this might make people a little more on guard about taking this up? I think the solution can't be at the individual level. I mean, it might make individual uh, folks who are contemplating possibly working for you know, Uber or Lyft or whoever comes in uh, to provide these services under the new regulations. Sure, it might affect individual choices, but we can't rely on that in setting labor protections. We need to be more organized. We need to look at this from a policy and a regulatory perspective to ensure that we have the appropriate guidelines in place so that... If and when these companies come into our province, they do so in a way that is not just undermining, you know, employment conditions and economic security for people, aside from all the other potential issues around congestion, environment, and so forth. Right. Okay, Sylvia, thank you so much. You're welcome. That's Sylvia Fuller, Professor of Sociology at UBC. Such an interesting discussion.